want to pick up the ball where we left off last week and really connect the dots. You know, we had the series dealing with just uh, the abandonment situation where if we continually resist God, resist God, resist God, finally God just says, fine. Um, and we never want to be there. And the, we picked up in Daniel. Daniel is, is what happens when a nation continues to do that. He's in exile now. He's living in Babylon and he's a slave. But I told you before, God still prospers his people, even in the midst of a national um, rebuke or a national uh, discipline. God still prospers his people. And I want to encourage you in that. In fact, we ended up last week with Daniel. We didn't touch on this portion of scripture, but because of Daniel's conviction, because Daniel has a map, because Daniel looks to God and he had the interpretation of the dream. You remember the story. He gave the king the interpretation of the dream. And he gave him the dream. So that was a total supernatural thing. Um, but what happened is God promoted him. And I want to encourage you. There, I believe we're coming into a time where there's a place of great promotion uh, for God's people. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that integrity and hard work and excellence are still valued in the marketplace? I think they're valued more now than ever. In fact, Adam just shared at his workplace, remember, he's 24 years old. At his workplace, there was a dozen people that had the same job. Eight of them were being released. And he said instantly, everybody started scrambling for looking for another job. He said, I just prayed. And he said, I felt like God said, this is your job. I'm not moving you from this job. So he sought the Lord instead of running for plan B. I mean, you know, that's always a good thing to do. Seek the Lord. Guess who got promoted out of the 12 people? The 24-year-old that knows God, walks with integrity, and works really hard, and honors God with his life. I'm just telling you, we're coming into a season where you should not be thinking, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to me? We're coming into a season where if you're a man or woman of God, you're going to be in demand. If you walk in integrity, you're going to be in demand. And if you'll seek God, he will promote you and prosper you. Can I get an amen on that? But here's the deal. We've been, I want to ask this question today. How do you strengthen those inner heart convictions that we all should have? Those heart convictions where you draw the line and, uh, and you say, you know what, I, this is who I am and this is how I'm going to operate and this is God's will and, and there's no questions. I mean, those are those conviction points that we hold on to and that we need to be standing for, especially in our culture today. How do you nurture and strengthen those things? You know, we talked about inner convictions. We talked about Daniel's personal relationship with God and how important that is to have a personal relationship, not just to go to church or be religious, but have a relationship with Jesus. We talked about his identity. Even though they changed his name, they couldn't change who he was. His identity on the inside was 100% Jewish. He was raised in the, in the word of God and the teachings of God, the commandments of God. And so even though he was in Babylon, Babylon could not change who he was on the inside. Uh, Andrew's message was so good this morning, was it not? We have to learn that we're moving into the identity of our older brother, Jesus Christ. Uh, and all of his resources are ours. We have to live that way. When last week, I really encouraged you with this whole notion that we have an unfair advantage to succeed in this life. It's called a map. It's called a biblical worldview. That we don't think like the world. We don't operate like the world. We're not nearsighted like the world. We can see in the distance. And Daniel stood before the most powerful and wicked and vile and vicious ruler of his day. And he reminded that ruler that there's a God in heaven that's greater than him. In fact, he is only in his position because God has allowed him to be in that position. Remember that? And he said, I know that the God of heaven knows your dream and can tell you what the dream means. Now, he was boasting in the Lord. 
in the midst of a wicked culture. How many of you know he could do that because he had a biblical worldview? He, he looked at the world through the lens of Scripture and through the lens of God's revelation, and it changed everything. And, and that, how important that was. He had a map. So I want to talk to you, first of all, this morning about the blessings of living within the boundaries of God. And any of you that have parented in this room, how many of you know when you're raising little children, it seems like you have a 24-hour-a-day job of establishing boundaries, they, they, you know, how many you know you're all excited when they learn to walk and then you realize, no. It was so easy when they just laid there. And then they roll over and you're like, yeah, they rolled over. And then they start crawling, yay. And then when they get vertical, look out, right? Because unless you completely remove everything from your house, which, you know, some people do, you do the whole, you know, house you know, kid-proof thing, which I understand to some degree, you know, you have to kid-proof your house. But how many of you know you got to leave some stuff in there? Because it's the stuff in there that teaches boundaries. Like your mama says, don't touch that. That's a no-no. And then, you know, you do, they do this little thing. They're smart little rascals. They're, they're, they're so cute, but they're so terribly fallen at the same time, you know. They know, they know what no means, but they're just checking you out. Like I remember my thing was those Christmas tree lights. I'm talking old school, those big hot ones that like burn trees down. Remember those? They would fry your tree, burn it up. And my mom would say, no, no, no. Ah, that thing was like a thousand degrees. All right. And I, what they were trying to do was establish boundaries. How many of you parents, you know, you did this boundary? Don't go in the street. Stay in the yard. Oh, you're such a mean parent. Establishing boundaries. Let the child be free to create and express themselves. Are you nuts? You want to kill your kid? No, you don't want to kill your kid. You tell them, stay in the yard. And some of my most intense spankings were reserved for children that did not get that lesson because it's one thing to touch a light on a tree. It's another thing to run out in the street. The consequences are much greater, the potential consequences. So how many of you know the the whole point of this is you're establishing boundaries. Boundaries are good. Boundaries are healthy. Boundaries are not to hurt you. How about this? Boundaries are to establish a playground for which God to bless you. This was an interesting study I read. There were these people that were into the whole new, don't put any boundaries on kids. It, it stunts their creativity and all this kind of psycho babble, all right? And uh, so what they did is they tore down the fence surrounding the kids' playground. Because they wanted the kids to be able to just free to roam. Actually, what they found was the opposite happened. The kids did not go out roaming. They all conjugated right around the swing set and nobody moved. Because there was a sense that all this freedom freaks us out because we now we don't know the established boundaries to have fun in. I mean, kids need boundaries, but guess what? Believers need boundaries too. And I want to give you a couple of principles here and show you a couple images. Check out, check out this next slide, if you would. How I many of you know, every time I see that picture, it freaks me out. Those guys are nuts. This was before OSHA and all the other alphabets out there. I mean, those guys are not buckled into anything. In fact, look at on the far left. That guy's lighting a cigarette for his buddy, 
And if that's not bad enough, the guy on the far left has a whiskey bottle in his left hand. What is this guy doing? He's sitting on an I-beam a gazillion feet above whatever. I would be paralyzed. I mean, how do you sit there and have lunch and like fellowship? Are you kidding me? How about look at this next one here? This one makes, I get tingles on the inside. Let's just dangle our feet off the skyscraper. Are you nuts? I went to uh, Great America this summer. And, uh, and of course, you know, you go with the kids and they keep you young at heart. So we went on every roller coaster imaginable. And like for the next three days, my upper body was killing me. I mean, I couldn't hardly move my shoulders. And I mean, I work out. It's not like I haven't done anything. I was trying to think, why am I so sore? Let me tell you why I'm so sore. If you think freedom means you're going to ride a roller coaster and you're not going to buckle in, you're going to have a rude awakening because you're not free. You're free to, to destroy yourself is what you're free. You know, what do they do? They put that thing down over your shoulder. And, and you're listening for that little click. Click. And then what do you do? I mean, do, do you do that? I'm checking. I'm not letting somebody making minimum wage come and tell me I'm safe, all right? I'm just not going to do it. They come up and they, they, they I buckled in and the kid pulls on. I'm like, yeah, pull, pull harder on that thing. Make sure. And then, I, and I don't stop there. I'm not one of these people. Woo! No. The whole ride, the whole ride, I am latched on. Upside down, up and around. Oh, oh. I, I got it right here. And then I wonder why for the three days afterwards, my shoulders are killing me. My chest, I can't move. I like boundaries. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I like the freedom that comes in knowing I'm secure. Now, nobody in their right mind would say, let's just take all the boundaries away and be free. I'd like to see you on whatever that ride was, the raging bull, the raging bull. Do that one with nothing attached, all right? Just free to fly because you'll be flying for sure. All right. Let me give you some benefits of boundaries. First of all, boundaries give us a framework, which is, they, pr- they provide parameters for our purpose. I like the way that came out. Have any of you stood at the, used to be the Sears Tower, now the Willis Tower, and you stood in that little glass box where you're hanging out of the building in a glass box? Now listen, I won't sit on that I-beam, but I'll stand in that box. You know why? Because that box is a framework that provides me with the thrill of looking however many stories I am above the ground with the safety of the framework. How many of you know God has established frameworks so that in the, inside that framework you can have fun and be blessed? Outside that framework, we got trouble. So framework. Secondly, is freedom. Freedom. Now I've got that cute little dog on the leash. And that dog's looking back like, he's got kind of a scary eyeball there, all right? I don't know if he's by the cliff or what, but he's looking back. Anybody besides me grateful that the Lord has a grip on me and on you? And I always pray, in fact, my mother and father prayed this prayer many times, which is why I got caught whenever I did anything wrong. They said, Lord, keep a short leash on that kid. Meaning that whenever we start to stray away, you know, I had many, many animals I tried to train, some more successfully than others, but I always get amazed that they'd have this leash on and they see something, you know. (laughs) Take off running full speed and I'm just, 
and then they go flying in the air, uh, jerk back. How many of you have ever had the Holy Spirit give you one of those, all right? You start racing for something that you know you shouldn't go after, and all of a sudden, and sometimes they do the flips backwards. They're not that smart. Some animals are not that smart. They've not figured out how this thing works. But here, here's a, a great hymn that I love. I, we don't sing a lot of the old hymns. They're, gr- they're good. Uh, some of them need to be put away. Some need to be resurrected. This is one that needs to be resurrected. It comes from the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Some of you remember that. But I love verse 3. It says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. He says, God, let your goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God that I love. Here's my heart. Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. How many are grateful that the fetters of God are not meant to inhibit our freedom, but they're meant to keep us attached, tethered to his grace and to his mercy? Anybody in here besides myself ever felt your heart wandering from God? I mean, just drifting. And you realize we're living in a world where everything is designed to pull you away, to pull you into the enemy's plans. And he does such a great job of marketing sin and making it look so attractive. And if we're not careful, boy, we can be so tempted to forget our God, forget his faithfulness, forget the promises, forget who we are, lose our identity, and we end up in a ditch somewhere. I thank God for a Holy Ghost leash on my life. And I ask the Lord, Lord, save me from myself. Lord, protect me from myself. Lord, I'm not putting any confidence in me because I know what I'm capable of. Lord, I want to be like that dog on that leash. Keep me leashed in to your purposes. Keep me attached to your hand. That's what I want to be. And then lastly, we talked about framework and talk about freedom. The third thing boundaries do is they establish fruitfulness, a parameter for fruitfulness. When we're in the boundaries of God, that's where the blessing of God lies. When we go outside the boundaries, that's where we miss out. Have any of you ever stuck your nose in somebody else's business or tried getting outside of maybe your area of giftedness? uh, And you realize, whoa, where am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? In other words, you don't feel the blessing of God, the presence of God, because you're outside of an established boundary. Here's the deal. As a believer, and Andrew was talking about identity, there are certain things. What is an identity? An identity is a border. Identity says this is who you are. This is who you're not. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is how you conduct yourself. This is how you don't conduct yourself. Does anybody understand? I mean, the identity is who you are. The Word of God and the identity of God comes out of uh, the Scripture and comes out of us hanging with the Lord. So let's talk about some holy habits. And this is going to be some very practical commitments that sustain our devotion and our conviction. We've been talking about the internal convictions. And as I set up on your screen, there are many times these internal convictions are good and they're sincere. But here's the problem. They're, they're temporary and short-lived. Because they're not supported and sustained by external commitments. Now, how many of you have been to a, a, either one of our men's or women's encounters? Wave at me if you've been. We all probably, if I said, hey, what's your favorite part of the encounter? We'd probably hear a bunch of different explanations or answers because we all like different parts. But let me tell you what my favorite part is. I love it when we come to the culmination of Saturday. We've been to the cross. We've dealt with our hearts, a lot of wounds that we got healed and stuff. We dealt with the open and closed doors, ways we've allowed the enemy to come into our lives, and we shut those doors. And then what do we do with that profile? We go out to a raging fire, 
And I'll just speak for the guys. Maybe the ladies do it differently. But this is the most testosterone-intense time of the entire men's encounter. We're all out there as guys. We're by a fire. We're out in nature. It's not inside a hotel or something. It's like dirt, trees, pine cones. It's dark, fire burning. And we're all gathered around in a huddle. I mean, where do you find men in a huddle like this? You know what I'm saying? This is like a rare moment here. And what happens is each guy takes the time to take that profile that listed all of the areas where the devils mess with them. Sins, habits, things that, 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 that were done to them, things they did to other people. It's all included in this profile between them and the Lord. And what do we do? We walk up to that fire and we throw it in the fire. And then what we encourage the guys to do is not just throw it in the fire and run, but make what's going on. What, what is the prophetic act that's taking place here? What, what, what's in your hand and throwing it into the fire? What, what are you saying? What's taking place? And generally speaking, we'll have guys that will confess all kinds of things. You know, I was a, I was a, I came here as addicted to gambling, but I thank you, Jesus, and by the power of your blood and your spirit, I renounce that stronghold in my life. I am no longer a slave to gambling. Throw it in the fire, and all the guys go, and it's just this huge cheering mob, and then the next guy walks up, right? And I love it. In fact, in fact, one of my most humorous moments was when I was in India. We did the first encounter in India. And I told all the people through the translator, okay, now when we get out to the fire, everybody wait. We're going to circle up, and I will lead you in what happens next. We dismissed them all. They ran outside. Everybody threw their stuff in the fire before I could even get out there. I was like, something was missing in the translation here. I mean, you talk about a downer moment. I mean, it's just like, This is not how this is supposed to be. But how do you say that in Telugu? All right? I don't know how to say that. Anyway, so the point is this. What comes after the fires thing? We get into the Holy Ghost. But here we get into the Monday morning is coming. Why do we have the Monday morning is coming talk? Because those convictions, like when you're at the fire and you're saying, I renounce this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to live. I've never seen one person that was not sincere, that was full of faith, that was authentic, that was being vulnerable, right? And that believed with all their heart they were free. But guess what happens on Monday? You go right back to the same friends, same world, same scenario. And what we found happened is if there is not a support system of holy habits that are established in your life, your convictions will dry up and die. How in the world are you supposed to have strong convictions in a culture with no convictions... If you do not have holy habits in your life to feed and nourish and sustain those convictions. Those convictions do not stand by themselves. They have to be nurtured. They have to be, they have to be fed. They have to be cared for. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning because Monday is coming. Let's take a look at the life of Daniel. And I want you to open up to Daniel chapter 6. And, uh, and I'm going to be reading verse 10. But I want to give you a little background here. Daniel, after his dream interpretation, as you know, received a tremendous promotion. He was one of the main leaders of the land. And all of his colleagues started getting jealous of him, and they looked for a way to destroy him. Now, how many of you know ungodly people aren't thrilled with your promotion at work? They're actually jealous of it. And many times in work settings, it can be a dog-eat-dog world where people are actually trying to sabotage their team member uh, because they thought they should have got the promotion or whatever. 
So all these people start going after Daniel, and they're looking to destroy him. Now, here's the testimony I want you to hear. Daniel did such an incredible job with such excellence, such wisdom, and such character, they could find nothing by way of condemning him. But here's what the Bible says. They started, they got, a, they got an insight. The only way we're going to be able to bring this guy down is his religious beliefs. Now, can I just tell you, if this is not, if Daniel is not a prophetic book for where we're at today, I don't know what is. Because let me just tell you, in the marketplace today, what will bring you down is not your excellence, not your love for people, uh, not any of those things. It will be your biblical convictions that will fall under the fire of people who view those convictions as being hateful or mean or whatever. So I'm just telling you, we need, to, we need to have conviction to stand, especially in the marketplace, especially today. But I want you to see why. What are the insights that we can gain from Daniel's life? Look with me at verse 10. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, this is the law that said basically, if you worship or bow down or pray to anybody but, but the king, then you're going to be, uh, you know, bad things are going to be done to you, or you're going to be punished. And here's what happened. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down. And look at those next two words. As usual. Say it with me. As usual. In his upstairs room, with its windows open. This wasn't in secret. Toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day. Look at that next phrase. Just as he had always done. Giving thanks to his God. Now, We all know Daniel stood and he stood boldly. And there's even more to come. We'll get to that next Sunday. How in the world did he stand out like a sore thumb in a hostile culture where to do so was going to end in your death sentence? How did he do that? Well, this gives us a hint. There needs to be some holy habits in your life that are just a part of who you are, just a part of what you do. One of those habits for Daniel was he was a man of prayer. And when the law passed and said, well, you can't pray, Daniel just absolutely ignored the law. He went right back to his room, as usual, and he opened up the curtains, as he always had done, and he prayed just as he had always done, because there was some habits in his life that sustained those convictions. One of those habits was he connected with God every single day. In fact, three times a day he connected with God. Now, I just want to ask you all some questions. You know, we're, we're living in a day and age today when any kind of structure or any kind of, of discipline is viewed as like ucky. Yeah, it's against grace. It's against freedom. God just wants us to be free. How many of you know there are some disciplines in our lives that actually foster freedom? I was talking to Bill Goldie up here the other day. I don't, know, I don't know if you appreciate Bill Goldie as much as I appreciate Bill Goldie, but I just was standing close to Bill today just because, you know, I have the secret dream in heaven to be, you know, a heavenly rock star for Jesus. <laughs> I'm not expecting that this side of eternity, but there's a, there's a potential for it to emerge in the next life. So I'm standing next to Bill. Now, Bill, just how many years have you been playing electric guitar? Since he was 12. He's slightly older than that now, but since he was 12. Now, Bill goes back. I mean, Bill was sucked out of the world in the leather pants, you know, rock band, big hair days, all right? And if you all remember those. But, I mean, I can't even ask you how many hours you have. 44. 44 years of playing this guitar. Now, let me just tell you this. Someone who has practiced the same instrument for 44 years... Do they have more freedom 
to flow or less freedom to flow? More freedom to flow. You know why? Because the guitar is like part of his hand. You're with me. I mean, it's in me. If I just let it out, I know I can. Except here's the problem. I tried to learn how to play one chord. And you had to put this finger like up here. I would have to physically like move it. And I asked somebody who was trying to teach me, like, how long does it take you to learn a chord? They said, you know, well, it's probably several months, you know, practicing that. Like, I gotta pra- I gotta move my finger like this for how many months to where it starts to do it normally? I did not have the commitment. That was not a conviction for me, okay? That was a, it was a wish. How do you know the difference between wishes and conviction? Conviction means I will learn this no matter what. And then here's the cool thing. Because of Bill's discipline, I mean, whenever we say, hey, Bill, just shred it. I mean, in a second, he could be going, and, you know, he could be doing that stuff. And and I'm not, I am not a musician, so I don't even know how cool that would be because I'm technically, I'm I'm ignorant. But somebody who knows the guitar could listen and go, whoa. You know, all I know is when someone hits a bad note. That's all I know. Some of you are like me. But I, when someone's really like that person's seriously good, I, someone has to tell me that. But Bill is seriously good because some, somebody told me that one time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, okay, we talk about Daniel. How I many of you know Jesus is God? Did I, is that true? Are you? Jesus is God. Jesus had holy habits. I'm going to prove it to you. Look at, look at Luke 4.16. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual. There's that phrase again. Or as he'd always done. Or as was his custom. Or as was his habit, depending on what translation you're reading. He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he stood up to read the scriptures. Let me translate that from modern language. Jesus went to church, as usual, every Sunday to worship with God's people. God was a regular church attender. I mean, just let this sink in. God went to church. (laughs) How many times? Okay, my preaching's bad enough. How would you like to be God sitting out? And I'm telling you what he means. And there's Jesus going... That isn't even close, bro. All right? Now, we don't have it all that bad, okay? Because none of you are Jesus. And so, you know, you can figure out maybe where I I don't always hit the mark. But you know what? Jesus always knows where we're short. In fact, I'm going to get to heaven someday, and I know I'm going to have a conversation with the Lord, and he's going to say, man, I really learned a lot from your preaching. Um, Because he's he's going to correct all those areas where I didn't quite get it right. But... Jesus was sitting there in church, and I shared growing up, I didn't go to a church that had these nice cushiony seats. We had those wooden pews. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you know what? They were hard. And when you're a little nine-year-old kid, and you're sitting there, and you're hyper anyway, you had, you know, sugary orange juice for breakfast and, and Fruit Loops, you know, and you're just like, woo! And there was, there was no children's church. <laughs> that was children's church, all right? And I'd pull out the visitor cards in front of me, 
and I'd color and write, and I tried to behave as best I could. And then we had a song leader who I swear he had a perpetual sinus infection because every Sunday, every Sunday he'd get up and the first thing he'd do is go and clear his nose. And you're just going. What I'm just telling you is it wasn't the most ideal situation. (laughs) My mom knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'm like, dude, just blow your nose before you get up there. Don't don't share that with all of us. But let me just tell you something else. My mom and dad never took a vote. All right, kids. Who wants to go to church this Sunday? All right, we'll stay home. Are you kidding me? What is a nine-year-old kid going to vote on nine Sundays out of ten? Unless they're giving away candy. Um, Especially at the church I grew up in. It, was, it wasn't the most dynamic church. You, all talk, you know what I'm talking about. But here's what happened. I popped out of mama's womb on Tuesday. And guess where we were on Sunday? We were sitting on those pews in church. And guess where we were every single Sunday? There was no vote. Well, I just don't want to raise my children that way. Listen to me. Some habits are really good habits. If Jesus went to a church that probably didn't quite represent heaven and the full revelation of all that he was. And Jesus went to church every Sunday. Then I think that's one of those corporate disciplines that's very, very important because here's one thing. You need God's family to succeed. You need some, let me say this, some holy habits are only expressed corporately. Listen, you can have your quiet time in your closet at home, and you should. But listen to me. You're not going to witness to anybody in your closet unless, you, unless you're talking to yourself. <laughs> or unless you have people hiding in the closet with you, which is even more scary. <laughs> you know, you're not going to fulfill the habit, the spiritual discipline of fellowship. Again, unless you got deeper problems. Who are you talking to? Me, myself, and I. It's the happy congregation. No, we're not. Yes, you are. Be quiet. Um, My point is this. There are some habits that are personal and private. There are some habits that are corporate, which that's my my go ahead and move. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself there. Um, The Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation. That's that's the the habits of the... Actually, I skipped over a lot. I'm sorry. You guys... Bless him, Lord, for trying to keep up with me every week. The snorting thing and all that ain't even in the notes. All right. Point number two. These habits are actions. They're not attitudes. In other words, they're activities. They're not character qualities. The spiritual disciplines are not about your feelings. They're about your actions. Like, how many of you want to be a generous person? I mean, you wouldn't. Is there anybody here that would say, you know what? If they put a generous guy on my tombstone, I wouldn't complain about it. anybody with me besides me. I'd like to be known as a generous person. But you know what? That's just a feeling. How do I become a generous person? Spiritual discipline. It means I develop an exercise for giving. Let me go back to the church thing. Do you know that the typical American, as far as church attendance, we're lucky if we show up in God's house to worship corporately twice a month. Let me just tell you, that's not a holy habit. That's I'll get around to it if it fits my schedule. Listen to me. 
You will never be able to live with courage and conviction if you don't discipline yourself to be where you need to be when you need to be there. You know what just happened right after our encounter? All those men throwing their profiles, making their declarations. We have Jerry Harvey and some other men that are up in a room on Sunday morning teaching them for the next 10 weeks how to establish biblical patterns in your life so that you don't go back to being the old scoundrel that you, that you once were. This doesn't happen by accident. This doesn't happen by laying on of hands. I wish it was that easy. We, man, we'd grease you up with oil and slap our hands on you and you'd be glowing in the dark. It isn't that easy. You got it. You got it. If you want to get wet, guess what? You better find a waterfall or you better find a lake. You can be standing in a desert all day long and say, man, I'd really like to be wet. You're not going to get wet. Guess what? You don't connect with God. You don't spend time with him. You don't have any time to, to spend in his word. You never come together in corporate worship to honor him. You don't serve. You don't love. You don't, you don't come out and do the things that God would expect you to do. And then you wonder, how come I feeling so wishy-washy? Let me tell you something else. You know why politicians start off good at home and go to Washington and lose all their convictions? They're too busy to stay connected to the source of their once previous convictions. And then we wonder why they waffle. Listen, every, every politician needs a pastor in his face on a regular basis. Let me just prophesy to you. You need pastors in your face on a regular basis. And you need the word of God spoken over you on a regular basis. And you need to pray. And you need, you need to be saying, God, here I am to worship you. And you need to give. And you need to serve. Why? Because you cannot be a person of conviction in a hostile culture if you're not feeding all of those uh, avenues that support and strengthen your convictions. People that are the... How about the prophets? You ever look at the prophets and go, my gosh, that guy's got guts. I look at some of the pastors at our founding that stood in the face of the entire British army and said, repent in Jesus' name. That's what they said. They, they commanded the army to repent. And then bullets started flying over their heads. That takes guts. You know what? These were people of deep, personal relationship with God. Hudson Taylor it was said that every morning he had a certain holy habit. He would awaken before the sun would rise over the, the nation of China. And this is what he said. I want the prayers of my heart being released as blessing over this nation before the sun rises to greet me and to greet our nation every day. The man, the man literally birthed revival on his knees for that nation. How about John Wesley? You know what? If you wanted to be a leader in John Wesley's crew, he expected that you fast two days a week. That's such legalism, Pastor. Thank God we don't have to get into that kind of legalism. Well, you could look at it as legalism. Or you could look at it as a lifeline to the grace of God. What is it for you? Is it a duty? Or is it a lifeline to more of Jesus? It, that's what it is. Is, this, is giving a duty? Or is giving a way to connect yourself to the heart of God? Who's, who's the ultimate giver? See, it, it can be whatever you want it to be or however you use it. It can be a blessing or it can be a, a club or a burden. So it's, it, here's, which leads me to my third pointer. These habits are means to an end, but they're not the end themselves. We don't have quiet times for quiet times sake. So I had a quiet time every day this week. Yay! No, that's not going to, you don't get a badge for that. I mean, that's not why we do it. It's not the end. The end is godliness. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. Isn't that good? The New Living says train yourself to be godly. Just like we have to go to the health club. Right? 
work out, ride our bike, lift some weights. And I'm all for that. We need to take care of our temple. But I mean, you know, if, if, if that takes up more time in our lives than what we're using as holy habits to connect with God, something's wrong. If you're more concerned that you got like a six-pack than that you have any kind of intimacy with God, I just pray fat cells all over you right now in Jesus' name. Just get them. Just get them, God. In fact, I'll give you guys a shortcut. Did any of you see that meme where the guy walks up and presses his belly up against the fence? And the fence pushing into his belly gives him a, a clearly defined six-pack. Just buy yourself some fencing and spend more time with God. All right? Just put that on and look in the mirror and go, whoa, yeah. And then that will free up more time. That wasn't in the notes either. I'm getting totally off track. This is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm just going to end with the Bible because you can't screw that up. All right. <laughs> Don't forget your carrots. All right, here we go. Look at that Dirk out there. I'm going to end with this. Matthew 11:28. Jesus says this. This is the message translation. I love it. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. Isn't that cool? I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that good? But I want you to see where the freely and lightly comes. Jesus says this. Take my yoke upon you. You know, a yoke seems like it's awful restrictive. In fact, it seems like when you're at the, at the amusement park and you're with, you know, the two-seater and the yoke comes down over the both of you uh, at the same time, the picture is you're riding with Jesus on the roller coaster ride and Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, get here yoked in with me. Learn how to think like me, how to act like me, how to love like me. Learn the, the spiritual holy habits that I had. How I many you know Jesus got up early in the morning to spend time with God? And he was God. God got up early in the morning to be with God. This is amazing. God went to church. God had to go city to city to share the good news. God, God did certain things. He said, I must do this. This is, this is my identity. This is my map. This is, the, this is the plan. These are the boundaries. But when you stay within the boundaries, you get the blessings. And if you learn the rhythms of grace, what's the rhythm of grace? I'll tell you what. Here's what I do. I get my Kindle out. I open it up. I hit the button there. Kindle, it opens up to all my books. I hit Bible, uh, one-year Bible. Boom. And there is my Bible reading for the day. How do I start my day? I read the Bible right there. I do it every morning. Every morning. Why do you do that, Pastor? I believe God will speak to me that morning as I spend time with him. I want to stay connected to his heart. I want to start my day asking for his blessing. How about you? Let me tell you something else, though. If you stay up to midnight watching Netflix, you ain't getting up early for work to spend time with, before work to spend time with God. Because you just ate Netflix till the cows came home last night. I was with Cora. We were, I like Cora. Cora's hanging out at our house until she goes back to Cambodia. We were watching the football game. I just want to say, I appreciate a woman that has a taste for football. I just want to say that out loud. So we were sitting there watching football, because you were raised correctly. Um, and uh, 
And it was, the other team just scored. And all of a sudden, it's tied. And I told Cora, I got to get out of here. Because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get sucked right into this game. And I got to get up, not got to get up. I'm getting up early on Sunday morning to be ready for all y'all. And this game's going to suck me in. And I'm going to be up much later than I wanted to be up. So I, I got up and I hit the off button. Why? I was choosing greater pleasure over lesser pleasure. I was choosing to honor my holy habit instead of having that turn into an unholy habit. I mean, you know, there's nothing immoral about football, but it can become immoral if you spend all your time staring at a TV set. So make sure your holy habits keep you grounded and tethered to the grace of God, connected as a lifeline to the grace of God. I encourage you, be people of prayer, be people who spend time in the Word every day. In fact, I'm giving you a headline. We're going to kick off the new year with a strong, strong, the, 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 the results are just back from a nationwide survey on church folk. It is amazing the level of biblical illiteracy in the church. I mean, simple things, simple things that people who say they love God uh, don't even get or have any, and here, let me just tell you why, they're not reading their Bible. You're not reading your Bible. I mean, you know, some of the biggest advocates for all kinds of strange, perverted things sometimes claim Jesus as their representative. And I'm like, read the book. Read his book. You're, you're, you're bringing up a false characterization of who Christ is because you're not reading what he said. So I just really want to encourage us. Let's be people of the book. Let's let God speak to us and stay connected to him. And let's develop some holy habits. Hear me. So you can stand strong. In the days ahead, I want Living Stones to the glory of God to be a leading voice, a leading prophetic voice in this whole region. Are you with me? And uh, I believe we are by the grace of God, but we can't stay there if we don't stay connected to Jesus. So hop to your feet. I want to pray for you this morning. Bless you. Don't forget um, marriage class at four today. Again, what a great thing. That's a, that's a holy habit mom and dad have established if anybody needs help in their marriage, I can tell you where my mom and dad have been for 30 years at 4 o'clock. Same place. Isn't that awesome? It's a great testimony for all of us. Lord, we present ourselves to you this day like Daniel did. We want to be people that do stuff as usual. We love as usual, serve as usual, worship as usual. We're in the word as usual. We witness as usual. We give as usual. All the things that you've Put on the map, Lord, all the boundaries you've established. May they become a usual, habitual, customary part of our lives. Jesus, we want to follow you. Teach us to be godly people with godly habits and godly convictions for your glory, Lord. Bless us as we leave these doors now, Father. We go out to workplaces and homes and family that need you. And I just pray we'd be able to release your love and your life everywhere we go now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you all. If you need prayer, come on down. If anybody uh, doesn't know the Lord, we'd love to pray with you this morning. Love you. Have a great week.